we know that uh, literature is born of the desire to to create it and mm. take part in it. Mm. And you never know uh, where uh, uh, where from the next uh, writer is going to come. Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Now, faithful listeners of this podcast will know that in December we went to Iceland. We went to learn all about the Jollabokaflod, which is a Icelandic tradition all about focusing on books at Christmas time. Now, on that trip, I talked to so many interesting people and I got such an amazing insight into the Icelandic literary scene that I couldn't resist pulling together some of those amazing interviews for you again uh, to show you more of Iceland and, and more of the rich history its literary roots have on offer. So today we're sitting down with the experts. We talk the history of Iceland, how we find identity in our language, the ways that translation can create nuance in what we're trying to express and the kind of like very unique approach that Icelanders have to books and the way they value them and particularly in in a way that perhaps we don't in the UK. For example you might not know that annually around 800 books are published in Iceland and that is in a nation of around 340,000 people around the size of Coventry. Around 60% of Icelanders get a book for Christmas and around 70% of Icelanders give a book for Christmas. You might recognise some of these voices if you've listened to previous episodes. I went to pubs, I went to bars, uh, I was even welcomed into their homes to talk about um, Iceland. It was so lovely. Uh, So you might hear some ambience, some pub atmosphere, some music in the background and even some cosy kitchen echoes which is the case with this first interview with Petter. Petter is the publisher at a publishing house in Iceland, Bjarta Velolt. His publishing house makes its magic in this kind of homely like setup. It's set up in what used to be a family house so there's a kitchen, a living room, it's really lovely. Uh, So we're sitting here talking about uh, publishing, the state of books and some really interesting insight into perhaps how the Icelandic attachment to books started. What do you think it is about um, uh, like Icelandic readers that makes them so keen? Why are they, compared to other countries, do you think? Is it just the, the tradition that it's yeah, there I mean, and yeah. staying in? And I mean, we have always regarded us, uh, ourselves as, a, as the Isaka nation. Mm-hmm. That we, are, we are telling stories and, and, and we have the Icelandic saga from the Middle Ages. Yeah. Uh, we have this tradition of telling stories and writing stories. People have been writing things down in Iceland since the beginning, basically, or since the, the 12th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I mean, you have, you have a, a farmer in a, in a remote valley up north who is translating Milton, part of lost by Milton in the, wow. <laughs> I mean, 200 years ago. Yeah. I mean, he was alone in the, in the, in the Darkness. <laughs> you, you, Not you, much to do. I'll just translate no, yes. the whole of Paradise Lost. <laughs> exactly. So we have this, mm. we have this uh, strong tradition of of writing things down, writing books, and trying to uh, to get get book get, get, get the books published, mm-hmm. uh, and then so so we so we 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 regard us as a as a nation of of stories or sarcas or, or books mm-hmm. so it, it's a part of, of our identity yeah uh, and then of course in, in 1995 Halldór Laxness got the 
Nobel Prize, mm -hmm. which I think people regarded as pretty like a, like a natural thing. I mean, he was our best author, yeah. and why shouldn't we? Well, also, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, we, we, we could even have, uh, you know, uh, another author at the time having the Nobel Prize, Gunnar Gunnarsson, who was living in Denmark for, for decades and writing in Danish. At the time, in the, in the 60s, no, in the 50s, mm. uh, after the, 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 the World War II, uh, uh, we had a, a lot of foreign currency after the, the war, because we had the US Army mm -hmm. and we had the British Army, and they came in with a lot of money to build all kinds of things. Uh, all the money was, was spent basically on, on buying trawlers, and uh, then in the What's tra trawlers? Uh, like? Fishing ships. Oh, right, okay. Fishing, yeah. Yeah, fishing trawlers. And, and then in the early 50s, there was, very, uh, there was a lack of foreign currency. So people couldn't import things to right. give for Christmas. So the thing so that what they could import? <laughs> they just gave books for Christmas. Ah, uh, I didn't know that. So it's a, it's a, it, it starts basically as a, as a as a lack of other things to, to give. <laughs> of, of course, we had been giving books for Christmas earlier, mm. but this really gave it a push. So, and, and this has ever since been a tradition, as I said, I mean, 60% of the people get, still get books for Christmas. So there's a little bit of a look into what I learned about uh, 1950s Iceland. Now, next, we're going to go back a little bit further uh, to the 1920s, actually. I spoke to Shone, who is the author of a book called Moonstone, but he also has written lots of other books and is also a poet. Um, but we particularly talk about his book Moonstone in this because it's particularly relevant to, to the, the research, research and inherited, inherited knowledge that Shone has that Shone about that has period about of history. That period of Icelandic history. A little bit buried. So for your book Moonstone, uh, which I absolutely yeah. loved, I just absorbed it in one sitting, um, that's kind of set in like 19, 1918, 1920. Is it true? Is it true? It's, it's 1918. 1918. Yeah. 1918. Um, when we've got like the flu going on and there's independence. What? How did you get into the research for that? Was that, or does it need, did you need to research? Because yeah. it, maybe you already, you already knew it all, mm. but it's, how did it feel looking mm. back at all that kind of, the history with, of Reykjavik. With Moonstone, uh, it was really uh, uh, amazing how much uh, new research I had to do. Mm. Because the Spanish influenza, which is probably the biggest collective trauma mm -hmm. uh, Reykjavik ever has seen, yeah. uh, had been completely pushed away mm. uh, from uh, public memory. Uh, it was... Uh, mentioned in passing uh, in our history books and uh, do you and think that's just a received kind of pain of just you it know, was the, it was the pain it was uh, out of respect i think uh, for the for the loss yeah. great loss people experienced in this in this town that uh, that uh, discussion was kept at minimum so as not to like open open their wounds and all that yeah. but it mostly has to do with the fact that uh, on uh, the first of December, just as the flu was uh, was uh, was uh, fade, fa fading out, uh, uh, Iceland became a sovereign country, and it was impossible to have two the two narratives existing side by side. You know, the celebration of the of the sovereignty, the independence, yeah. and uh, the memory of the of the of the mass death that was mm -hmm. here in, 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 in town at the same time. So it was pushed away, and this was something that I had to really look into and, and, and bring back 
back to, back to our memory yes. through the book. The other thing I discovered for, with the book was how early we became uh, uh, became uh, one of the biggest cinema goers in the world uh, mm. when it's measured by ca per capita. Yeah. You know, we are. Yeah. You know that we are world champions and everything mm. that is measured by per capita. You know, yeah. more or less. You know, yeah. maybe the Faroese have the upper hand in some <laughs> like so. some some cases, yeah. but mm. yeah. So I had to do a lot of uh, new research for that book. Yeah, because the main character is obsessed with going to the cinema, and it's this like meeting of uh, old sagas and that yes. kind of style of. And so was that also maybe you exploring this? How how does Iceland negate the the future and the past and and, and goes forward? Yes. Mm. Uh, in the book, uh, he is really uh, the man of the future. He's mm -hmm. the one who realizes and, 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 and falls in love with the new uh, new narrative art form. Mm -hmm. uh, the the, 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 the outside, only yeah. new art narrative art form that was uh, bo born uh, into the world, you know, in, in centuries. Mm. Uh, so uh, he's dyslexic. He doesn't have access to the great Icelandic saga tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a complete outsider. Yeah. You know, in this in this country of strong men and 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 and, and uh, yeah. saga scholars. You know, yeah. <laughs> so cinema and uh, the cinema and his queer uh, personality is uh, is uh, the future. Yeah. And nobody sees it. The you know, future. because yeah. we never see the future. You know. Yeah. Next, I spoke to Ragnar Jonasson, um, who is Iceland's probably most famous crime writer. He wrote this book called The Darkness most recently, which I um, absolutely loved and, and kind of creeped me out about Iceland, to be honest. But I still went and I, and I loved it. Ragnar talked to me about the landscape of Iceland, the things that um, it has been lacking in its history and potentially why that has made the Icelandic culture turn towards books kind of like seeking permanence I guess uh, what he has to say is really interesting so here it is do you think it's true that lots of Icelanders have read the sagas or do you think it's more like in the same way that perhaps in, in Britain we have mythology that's permeated the culture but it doesn't mean that we've actually you know we have the no I actually think uh, and I actually know that most Icelanders have read the sagas because oh, really? you are really obliged to do that in school you really can't get away you can't get away from them uh, at least you know even on a on a sort of kids as young as maybe I, I can't remember you know maybe 10 11 12 at that age you read uh, one of the sagas I did anyway and then when you go to college you know, 15 16 you read two or three more yeah at least and you know so so I think it would be hard to find an, uh, you know an, an adult Icelandic reader who have not read some yeah. of them and but I don't know I, I think people maybe not generally read them for pleasure you know once yeah. they've graduated but they are fantastic books and I you know and I think they are really the they are our most important heritage because we don't have architecture really you know from the from centuries ago we don't have you know a lot of art from the you know from again from centuries ago all all that sort of art uh, like uh, is is pretty modern for Iceland. Yeah. You know, it's maybe a century old, or, you know, or, or so. So most of the, you know most of current uh, current art is from the 20th century. But what we have from uh, hundreds of years ago is only this, the sagas. That's sort of the only you know the really important thing that has been preserved from from our old, from our, basically from around the time of the settlement, or, or you know. 
the middle ages and uh, and I think I think the sagas you know that the fact that this is our most important heritage is also uh, the reason why we have uh, such a strong interest in literature in general why so many people read and you know and and maybe more importantly why so many people write books and want to write books and are interested in you know just the culture of books and literature uh, and you know why we have a Nobel uh, literature winner in Halter Luxness you know it's all it all has to do with the fact that you know this is what everyone yeah it's a part of our you know DNA in a way yeah it's good and it's worth preserving I think absolutely <laughs> After speaking to Ragnar, I decided I wanted to hear a little bit more about the translation side of Icelandic literature, like what it what it means to be um, so far apart geographically from a lot of the other countries that you interact with and, and how that might have impacted the kind of work that Iceland has put out there into the world. So the house of Christine Eriksdotter was my next stop. Uh, Christine is an amazing Icelandic writer she primarily writes in Icelandic actually but she does have some books coming out in English very soon so I am very excited uh, to read those uh, but Christine has been heralded in the literary community I was just so interested to hear her take on the linguistic isolation and recent permeation of, of English uh, as a predominant like world language and how she felt about that so here is Christine talking to me I grew up in the 80s and 90s and uh, it was a very different Iceland mm. at that time. It's, it's changed so much. I think it was more of an island yeah. back then. It, it doesn't feel like such an island anymore. Like people are kind of more international, do you think? Or Yeah, people are flying more sort of uh, easily, of course, and, and more cheaply. It used to be so expensive just to get away from the island. Mm. You know, just the first ticket to get to Copenhagen, you know, and then from there you would go someplace else, you know, in Europe mm. or to the States. You know, it was just so... It was such a big deal, and now we have had these, uh, these uh, yeah, th that has changed a lot for Iceland, these uh, low-cost mm. airlines. But also, of course, because it was before the internet, and I think that's mostly what I mean. I grew up with books because I, my mother was a writer also, mm. so, so I come from having a lot of books around me, and I was read to a lot in Icelandic. And also, like another thing is when I talk about these changes in Iceland, I think also the the Icelandic language is is probably changing faster now than it did before. Mm -hmm. Probably in the last uh, twenty years, it's changed a lot more than the, the well, previous really. twenty years before that. Yeah, because um, languages are always changing. Uh, but mm -hmm. in Iceland, I think that uh, it, there's been uh, an emphasis on trying to keep it. Yes, uh, pro preserve because it. There, yeah. Because there are so ridiculously few people that, that speak this language. Mm. And because, I mean, language is going st uh, extinct every day, you know, it's, it's, it's mm. such a... So there's this uh, preciousness that has been to, uh, to uh, sort of preserve, yeah. preserving the language. We always had these very strict rules of, of uh, when something new comes in, like the television, when we don't call it TV, we give it a word, like Sjónvarp. Mm which is like a very uh, descriptive way of what it is in Icelandic. Okay. Well, does it have a direct translation? Um, I mean, shown is like sight, okay. and varp is like uh, kind of like a sort of broadcasting. And, and you know, radio is útvarp, mm. and, and, they, and they, uh, we always try to find new words. And, and then uh, when, you, when you have the internet, 
coming in. Mm. It's it just happened so fast. Like we couldn't manage. You can like keep the words. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like everyone is liking stuff, and and you know it it it's just the Icelandic became sort of infiltrated by the internet. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then also what happens is that uh, children are watching a lot more television than mm-hmm. they used to and we don't have sort of the capacity to just put Icelandic because we there used to be like... There's a lot of funding I, that's needed, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, and so children are watching a lot of English uh, material. Yeah. Teenagers are playing mm-hmm. uh, games in English. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is also not only that the, the words are coming in, mm-hmm. but that the uh, structure is changing. Yeah. So I'm also doing this. Everyone is, I think. So you, you start the way you say, you know, God bless you becomes an it used to be an Icelandic structure. It becomes an English. Uh, okay, so like you, have a nice day. You say you, you would never have said have the golden dark, you know, in, in Iceland. Uh, before, okay. But yeah. now you will say it sort of you translate the English. Yeah, instead of having a different phrase with the same sentiment, it's like you're literally translating. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't say that it's like the grammar is wrong mm. but it's just sort of yeah, interesting. Uh, and I think I think this is like normal. I think that that language is the nature of, of, of life to change. Yeah. So and also language and and um, and it's also um, I think, but it's for for as long as it's not getting smaller, you know. Yes. Yeah, so long yeah. as uh, so so long because um, yeah, you understand what I mean. Mm, yeah, you don't want it to be simplified or yeah, yeah. like if, as long if as everyone is speaking sort yeah. of bad English, then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it, it doesn't leave a lot of room for creativity or nuance yeah. or especially as a writer, I suppose, because you're like as a writer, you're trying to express things that that aren't simple. Sometimes they're yeah. they're longer concepts and they're exactly. uh, more complicated emotions. So to simplify, and yeah. um, I think with in in Britain when we might go and to a British bookstore and look for Icelandic literature mm-hmm. we'd probably find some crime yeah. <laughs> we'd find laxness and probably the sagas but there's so much more to Icelandic literature than that I guess do you think it's a shame that we kind of just focus on those things or are they like good benchmarks to then explore more I think that I think that um, I understand that if if you have English as your first language that you don't really maybe see the need to translate <laughs> because you have so much that is written in English. Um, but this is actually like an interesting uh, uh, aspect to being from from Iceland and, and, mm. and literature and that confident translation because uh, we rely so uh, heavily upon translation. Uh, as um, writers, of course, but also as readers. But maybe, I, I don't know, maybe, I, th- I think it's interesting because maybe actually we are getting more uh, diverse literature because we need to translate it anyway. Yes. <laughs> so you're like, well, you might as well. So it's like Spanish, English, Russian, you know, it's... Uh, whereas in, if you if you have English as your first language, maybe it's just... You yeah, have so many often. books that you have to read in English that yeah. maybe you just don't get to the... Yeah, that's. but then I think it's important to, to do that and go out and look for yeah. it rather than just read what you're served lastly i had to play you this clip again from sean he wanted to talk about the positive impact uh the kind of wider consciousness of the world uh has had on icelandic literature and continues to have i I think sometimes with like trying to preserve a language at the same time as speaking it you always think it's going to be you know older writers we we, if you go into a bookshop in in the uk and you look for icelandic books you probably will find laxness and the sagas 
and some crime. But I think it's it's amazing that there's just so much and it's moving forward so fast as well. You know, I think it's really a place for young writers, Iceland. Would you say? I, I would say mm -hmm. so, and uh, and uh, and uh, because we are a uh, literary culture that welcomes mm. uh, young writers. Uh, uh, yeah, they just keep coming, you know. And we just, <laughs> just, just, just keep just saying, keep "Oh, happening. welcome," you know. Mm. <laughs> Try yeah. your hand at it, you know. Yeah. But we're we've also also we've also always been a literature that is open to uh, the world and open to outside influence. Mm. Uh, all the all the uh, what uh, all the peaks of uh, of creation in the history of Icelandic literature. Uh, have been when uh, the authors have uh, embraced uh, influence uh, mm. from outside. Yeah. So the sagas can be said to be uh, a multicultural project that mm. uh, was made by the uh, Celtic and uh, Nordic and Catholic culture. Uh, and then uh, the next uh, big event in Icelandic literature is, uh, is the Baroque. And one of our most loved uh, poets is Hallgrímur Pétursson, who wrote uh, a poem about the Passion of Christ, which is seen as like the major work uh, of, of, of uh, Icelandic literature. After that, we had the Romantic movement having a big impact on our on our uh, national poets, mm. the poets who taught, her, taught us to look for beauty in this uh, unforgiving uh, has. Uh, Landscape mm. that we that, that that most of the time seems to be trying to get rid of us. You know, <laughs> they they found <laughs> yeah. beauty in the waterfalls and beauty in the storm clouds and and yeah. and, 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 uh, and the black sea and all that. Yeah. You know, and then uh, in the twentieth century, Halldór uh, uh, Laxness uh, was at the beginning influenced by Catholicism, mm. Catholic, the Catholic faith, and then uh, surrealism, mm -hmm. communism. And then the end Taoism, so yeah. he was one who really embraced outside influence. Mm. Uh, so you know, my yeah. generation was influenced by, Absolutely. again, both by surrealism and 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 punk and uh, many other things. Yeah, by David Bowie. By David Bowie. <laughs> so that is that is you know that is the strength yeah. of Icelandic literature. Yeah. And that's why we keep moving forward, mm. and that's why we know that we have to uh, welcome. Mm. Yeah. New writers, because they are seeing and hearing things, and picking up influences and and uh, and ways of uh, ways of writing, which uh, yeah. would only find the ways uh, find the way into our literature through through these people. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to be speaking much more about the future of Icelandic literature in the next episode. So do make sure you're subscribed and you don't miss it. Thank you to Wow Air for partnering with us on this episode and for flying me out to Iceland. Thank you so much to all the wonderful guests that have appeared in this podcast and thank you to Iceland for having me in your beautiful country. I plan to come back very soon. Don't forget to follow Vintage Books on social media to keep up with all the very exciting books that we're publishing. I don't know if you've heard this year but actually we're publishing the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale so um, make sure you're abreast of all things bookish uh, by following at Vintage Books on Twitter and Instagram. Um, thank you so much for listening. And until next time.